Welcome to this very special edition of a Shot in the Arm podcast. I'm your host, Ben Plumley, and this is a live recording of a webinar organised by PSI in conjunction with the UN General Assembly in September 2021. The theme is building COVID-19 vaccine confidence through social media. Our panellists are Latifa Mosley from UNICEF, Jessica Kirkwood from CARE, Martin Dale from PSI, and Lu Chen Foster from Facebook. The technical moderator is PSI's own amazing Christine Vargas. Equally amazing is Brandon Solosky for organising us. The podcast is brought to you by the Bay Area Global Health Alliance, a network of academics, private sector, non-profits and local organisations, all based in the Bay Area and all committed to improving the health of everyone around the world. You can find out more at www.bayareaglobalhealth.org. Well, hope you find this conversation interesting. And welcome everybody to this webinar building COVID-19 vaccine confidence through social media behaviour change campaigns. As Christine said, my name is Ben Plumley. I'm a senior advisor to the Bay Area Global Health Alliance. I think most of the organisations represented on this webinar are members of the Alliance, a hub based in the glorious San Francisco Bay Area that looks to build innovation and equity around global health. And yes, I am the host of a Shot in the Arm podcast, a weekly podcast about global health and innovation. Well, today's speakers include Latifa Mosley, who is the project manager for Scaled Support Program with UNICEF, Facebook and Yale. She's at UNICEF. Our other guest is Jessica Kirkwood, Associate Vice President of Supporter Engagement at CARE, Martin Dale is the Director of Digital Health and Monitoring at PSI. And last and by no means least, Luchen Foster, who is the Director of Health Partnerships at Facebook. Now, this is an extremely serious webinar about a subject that has riven societies apart in the last couple of years. And we're going to see what each organization is doing. How has public health been transformed and kicked into the 21st century by COVID and by social media? Um, so we're going to have some theoretical examples and some very much country examples. Um, and if there are things that you don't hear, questions that you don't feel answered, as Christine said, we've got a process for you to, to ask those questions and we'll get as many done as we can. So before getting into the conversation, let me hand over to Lu Chen. Um, Lu Chen has some introductory remarks about what Facebook is doing and particularly, and, and I know this as a partner of Facebook, some of the really extraordinary contributions and support to us old public healthies as we enter this new era of pandemics preparation. So, Luchen, over to you. Whoops, muted there. There. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Um, my name is Luchen Foster. I'm the Director of Health Partnerships at Facebook, which means I have the great pleasure of partnering with health organizations as they work to leverage the Facebook platform to drive real-world impact. And I'm grateful to be here today with a few of our health partners to talk about the work that we've done together. PSI, CARE, and UNICEF have all been key partners for Facebook's response to COVID-19. Now, let me just start at the beginning of the year. 
we began our efforts to determine how we could help bring people one step closer to getting COVID-19 vaccines. And a real critical first step for us was to try and develop a strong understanding of the core people problems that accompany vaccine confidence. And I know this is understood by so many in this audience, but I'm just going to recap the problems. Um, you know, the first is getting answers to the questions people may have about vaccines. It's that ability to talk to friends and families about getting a vaccine and then really increasing access access to vaccine information. So this is things like registration and how to get vaccinated. Now, this defining of the core people problems for us culminated in just really crystallizing a goal for us, which was we could use the platform to help people find reliable health information. And I'm excited to share the three key ways that we've approached this. Now, first, we've connected over 2 billion people with reliable information about COVID and vaccines through our COVID Information Center. Now, we know that misinformation thrives in the absence of good information. So it was important to address the foundational information needs because that actually would help address misinformation. And we know that due to current events, there's been this increase in overall conversations about vaccination both accurate and not. Um, and we know we'll never get to zero since what people talk about online is really a reflection of society and about what they're talking about offline. But we can make sure that reliable information is prominently available alongside the conversations that they might be having with their friends and family. So in April, we expanded our facts about COVID unit. It's shown to people in their newsfeed to include facts about COVID vaccines. And this unit reached hundreds of millions of people worldwide and our research with just a subset of those people in India, Indonesia, Brazil, Nigeria, and Kenya found that this messaging resulted in a 3% increase in belief of important facts. And one really important fact was the fact that COVID vaccines had been adequately tested for safety. Now, as the vaccines have become available, we've also made it easier for people to book their vaccinations and get access to health services. And so in some countries, people can use a WhatsApp chatbot, which is a very simple SMS way of you basically text a number and get a response back and can kind of have just a conversation via an SMS. And this chat, these chatbots have been used to find out whether they're eligible for vaccines, find the nearest vaccine center, register for a vaccine, or even just get reminders for their shots, all in their local language and available 24 hours a day without kind of a human intervention. Now, in so, Indonesia, so, um, yeah. let me just stop you there, um, Arlujan. When we talk about bots, very often we think about mm, young spotty teenagers in the basements of large uh, parastatal organizations. We're not talking about that at all here, are we? This is a totally different project and process. Absolutely. When we talk about bots and kind of what we're talking about with these WhatsApp chatbots is that it's a very natural way that we've all kind of become accustomed to communicating sometimes via text message. You text a number, it gives you a list of prompts that you can respond to and you say which prompt. So for example, if I text a number and it gives me, are you interested in finding a vaccine near you? Or do you just want more information about the vaccine? You can then respond with the number and it kind of gives you the rest of the details. And so the way I see it is, you know, sometimes there's always a negative connotation of customer service 
I don't want to get on the phone. I'm just not in the mood for having this conversation right now. That's the beauty of chatbots is that you really, it's on your time. You can have the conversation you need and get the information fast and quick by SMS. Also incredibly scalable globally, right? With SMS. Um, but the great example with WhatsApp chatbots that we saw was in Indonesia, 500,000 medical workers were able to register for the vaccine via a WhatsApp chatbot in just five days. And that's a third of all healthcare workers in the country. So it's incredibly effective at like a quick sign up. Now, second, um, we've provided over $120 million in ad credits to governments and health organizations around the world. And this includes PSI, CARE, and UNICEF to drive social media campaigns that promote accurate information about COVID preventative behaviors and vaccination. Now, what good are ad credits, though, without the data and insights to inform the campaigns that a partner might run or the measurement to determine even if the campaign actually impacted behavior? And so with our health partners, we've offered brand lift measurement. Now, brand lift measurement it is not a new concept. This is a type of ads measurement that advertisers have used to measure ad recall, brand awareness, and message association for many years on Facebook and other platforms like YouTube. And the opportunity was leveraging this tried and true ads measurement for something like health messaging. And that is really the change. Um, and when it comes to data and insights, we've been able to provide everything from regional insights about COVID symptoms, from our COVID trends and impact survey, to just the best practices on the right media formats to use for an effective campaign or, or the right subjects. And I'm happy to say that we've seen increasing evidence that these campaigns are resonating with communities. A paper published just last month um, in Nature showed online Facebook ad campaigns can drive real-world health impact. But I'm not going to get into those details because we're going to hear case studies from our panelists, um, and they will be able to speak to much more detail than I can. But lastly, I want to just address that we know that health educators... Um, have mentioned that leveraging people you trust, like friends, family, and community leaders, to set vaccination as a norm, social norm can make an impact. And so one of the things that we've seen is our health partners like those today are increasingly leveraging influencers and community leaders in their social media campaigns to encourage vaccinations as they become available. But we also have invested in tools unique to the social media experience that allow people to express their support vaccinations to friends and family. And so this year we rolled out COVID-19 vaccine profile frames on Facebook, as well as stickers on Instagram, and it's available to over 70 countries so that people can express their support vaccinations, support for vaccinations to friends and families in a way that feels authentic to how they actually engage on the platform. Now, I've shared the three ways we've chosen to help people find reliable information, um, but I also just want to take a few moments to acknowledge that, you know, partners have been an essential component of Facebook's efforts in the health space. And this started a while ago with our work with organizations in India to roll out our blood donations feature, and that was five years ago. And this feature is now available in over 37 countries and is used by 100 million people. And so, you know, during the pandemic, we've really had this opportunity to continue our collaboration with many nonprofit health organizations because we've found a shared goal to encourage people to stay safe and get vaccinated to slow the spread of COVID. And so, I mean, we're just so excited to continue to collaborate. And some of the case studies that have come out, we've just found as 
a real redemption of so much of the work we've done. So, Luchen, to wrap up your introduction, one of the things that on A Shot in the Arm podcast, the podcast that I do, I'm really keen to know how people have stayed sane over the course of the pandemic. What's your go-to? What's your secret sauce that gets you up in the morning or uh, helps you go to bed at night? Yeah, that's so it's a good question. Um, It is slightly embarrassing. I have become the Marie Kondo of my household over the pandemic. Uh, It started with watching the show on Netflix and then, you know, seeing how she used shoeboxes to organize everything everywhere. And I was like, I have shoeboxes. And so then it graduated to a label maker. And the way I've stayed sane is I have organized everything uh, from Legos to food and pantry items everywhere. So I've got shoeboxes, labels. It's it's a new hobby. (laughs) I think it's wonderful. We've just moved into a new house. And so I'm going to be thinking very carefully how I can suddenly invite you to dinner. And I'm happy to. I will bring the shoeboxes and the label maker. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very, very much, Lucia. Our next speaker is Latifa Mosley. And Latifa, we're going to ask you to talk a bit about the program that you're involved in. What's the intervention? The again, the the example of where it works on the ground and that aha moment where you realise that public health could be expanded and grown upon using these new tools. Mm. But I'm going to kick it off by asking you what's kept you sane these last mm-hmm. 18 months or so. Uh, good morning, Ben um, and everyone. Thank you for the introduction. Um, it's a pleasure be- to be here today. Um, so for me, um, I've enjoyed definitely streaming uh, various shows. My favorite would be uh, the Hulu series, uh, Margaret Atwood's Handmaid's Tale. Um, but also, of course, on the topic of COVID-19, many of the uh, documentaries that have been produced that really give an insight into uh, how people are living during the pandemic around the world. Um, so I kind of am interested in, in just understanding uh, where people are at this point of time. Um, but regarding the skill support program and UNICEF's work, I would like to just begin uh, with talking about who UNICEF is as a global as a global leader in immunizations. Um, so UNICEF works in over 190 countries around the world and has established an infrastructure in these countries in the procurement, supply chain, dis- and distribution of vaccines to some of the most remote places in the world. Um, currently, UNICEF is is responding to the COVID-19 pandemic, along with partners uh, leading the largest procurement and supply operation in history. Um, so that would be the COVAX um, initiative. Um, <clears throat> And that initiative is a part of uh, UNICEF's long history in creating vaccine equity, ensuring that the most vulnerable 
vulnerable populations are vaccinated. And to date, uh, the COVAX initiative has delivered 276 million doses of the COVID vaccine to 141 countries um, around the world through partners in UNICEF's existing structures. So not only does UNICEF provide access to vaccine, but more importantly, UNICEF engages with communities to learn their values and needs around quality vaccination services. And these understandings help UNICEF to provide knowledge that builds vaccine trust and acceptance, creating a demand for vaccine, ensuring that people are protected against infectious diseases. Uh, this includes community engagement through door-to-door -door campaigns, print material, radio, and other in-person communication channels. Um, but given that we are currently in uh, this pandemic, many of the measures uh, have included uh, physical distancing that has made some of these communication channels difficult. Uh, therefore, uh, we now have an added mechanism to reach populations. Um, and through this partnership with Facebook, we are now able to connect with people digitally by utilizing digital advertising and marketing techniques and Facebook tools to implement digital social behavior change communication campaigns, therefore expanding our reach. Um, so how did this all start? Uh, for us, this program began in 2020. We piloted a similar project to the scale support program in five country offices. That includes Pakistan, Ukraine, India, the Philippines, and Kenya, working together with the Yale Institute of Global Health, Facebook, and the Public Good Project, uh, we were able to test messages and develop campaigns that were contextually specific to the needs of, uh, of individuals. Um, excuse me. And the outcome of this pilot uh, was the development of resources. So that includes a vaccine messaging guide and a vaccine misinformation management field guide to support organizations in developing these sorts of communication campaigns. And these guidances have become an integral part of our program and also um, added value to the Facebook Facebook workshop series, which is uh, training our country offices on how to use these digital techniques to implement these sorts of campaigns. Um, and just to let everyone know, if you're interested, these resources are available via our website. Um, and therefore, now moving forward in 2021, uh, we were really excited to engage, to continue the engagement with Facebook. Um, how can we scale this project? And now we are pleased to say that there are over 100 countries benefiting from these learnings and developing and implementing tailor-made campaigns to increase vaccine confidence. So really, uh, in, like uh, expanding our work on the ground to actually uh, the digital space. Um, and for us, our program is a, is a tiered program, uh, mostly because of the size of our organization and the way we approach it with uh, country offices with the range of di digital marketing knowledge. And, and for example, uh, Brazil, uh, for example, um, is a country office that came to the program with exi existing digital marketing experience. Um, over the course of the first half of the year, they implemented several campaign uh, 
Um, and one of the campaigns provided answers to young people's doubts related related to COVID vaccine through um, a platform known as U-Report. U-Report is a messaging tool developed by UNICEF. And through that platform, we were able to have this discussion with young people why uh, COVID vaccines are important and why they are safe. And this actually uh, this campaign with Facebook and U-Report actually brought 4,000 new users to the U-Report platform, increasing UNICEF's online community. Um, so unlike Brazil, we also have other country offices, for example, Namibia, who had no prior experience in implementing digital campaigns. Um, and Namibia, they were able to carry out a campaign uh, in the first half of the year, really expressing to their population that vaccine works. They reached uh, about 90% of uh, Facebook users in Namibia. And I believe that this is the first step to understanding uh, that first, there is a community online that they can engage. And in the second half of the year, Namibia is embarking upon testing their their messaging and really understand uh, what type of knowledge and attitudes and perceptions have been changed from this campaign. Lastly, I would like to share um, a story of UNICEF El Salvador. Um, and just to really show how we are taking offline communication work online. Um, you know, UNICEF El Salvador came to the program with... Uh, digital marketing experience. Uh, and through their work uh, with the Facebook workshop series, uh, they were able to carry out a campaign that really uh, spoke to their years of work that they spent cultivating trust and community connections uh, offline. They use the power of connection in social media to encourage parents to share their own ideas and content so that there is an actual authentic voice and community building component, component to their social media activity activities, excuse me. They leverage groups and Facebook Live tools to connect with people in different ways, finding them where they were online. Uh, they carried out an extremely successful campaign that increased people's perception of safety of childhood routine immunization. And, you know, our Facebook tools that uh, we utilize, as Luchin was speaking uh, previously about the brand lift study, we were really under able to understand that the population that they most engaged with were, were women of reproductive age, so women between 18 and 44. And this population is one that uh, UNICEF has uh, previously and continuously um, reached to ensure that uh, mothers bring their children to access vaccination. So because of the diversity of understanding um, what our program is really uh, looking to do is within over 100 countries to collaborate between these teams. So really, we want to create an environment where countries learn from one another in sharing their campaigns and their results. And so in the first half of the year, we've really obtained some really outstanding results from country offices, as you've seen through our case studies, and really looking forward to building upon that 
in the second half. Um, overall, our efforts are to scale this program up to all of our UNICEF country office offices and to institutionalize um, digital social behavior change communication campaigns as a part of UNICEF's work beyond vaccine and COVID-19 pandemic response efforts. Thank you. Thanks, Latifa. <clears throat> I think a really big question that comes to mind your strategy seems to be create demand and the product will follow. If we look at the sex or other sex, listen to me, it's 8 a.m. in California. If we look at the success or otherwise of the COVAX international campaign to bring vaccines to resource limited countries, how has that impacted your ability to develop socially media-based demand creation programs when, let's be really honest, the products aren't there. Are you just setting yourselves up for failure? Thank you, Ben. Um, that is a dynamic question. It's a very full question. Um, I don't believe that we're setting ourselves up for, for, for failure. Um, as we are able to, to provide these resources to countries, um, we don't want to have vaccine. Uh, so our, our, our process is that basically what we do is before we know that we have these vaccines on ground, we are able to create that demand for the COVAX initiative. So we are very particular about uh, the process in which we're, we're taking to, to reach populations um, to vaccinate them. Thank you. You know, and we all know that UNICEF is an absolute powerhouse in driving uh, targeted communications and awareness strategies, particularly for young women and girls. So I know we're all going to be watching what you do very closely. And it's just really fantastic that, you know, you're the long-term expert on public health communication and you've partnered with Facebook. This is absolutely, absolutely terrific. Well, can we move over to uh, Jessica Kirkwood from CARE? Jessica, I know you've got a lot to say, but I really want to kick this question off because if I recall, we are re we are you are coming to us from your home kitchen. Is that right? That's right. So this is the microwave. And this is the famous <laughs> microwave that you're now hiding. How much has preparing food um, and chilling in the kitchen helped you get through these last two years? Well, when, when my husband and I are asked if we have any new hobbies due to the pandemic, we just answer that our new hobby is loading and unloading the dishwasher. We have two teenage children and it just, it feels like all we're doing. I'm sure others can relate. Um, it's, it's really impossible to understand how many dishes we can be dirtying uh, in times of quarantine. It's, it's, uh, it's ridiculous, really. So the floor is yours. Care's thinking and approach to the use of digital media and social network platforms to transform the way we communicate public health, particularly in the age of COVID. 
Thanks, Ben. Well, as you know, CARE is a global humanitarian leader working to alleviate poverty through both disaster response and sustainable development in 100 countries. We have decades of experience in immunization and vaccine programming globally, and we're currently working to ensure effective promotion and distribution of the COVID vaccines. Uh, getting the vaccine to a country is just a small part of the solution. So CARE is working alongside national governments, other humanitarian agencies like UNICEF, um, local civil society organizations, frontline health workers and communities to ensure equitable, equitable distribution of the vaccines, but also to support delivery to the hardest reach locations, to provide logistical support, to strengthen primary health care systems, pr to protect health workers, and to combat, uh, combat vaccine hesitancy, which of course uh, is we're doing a lot of on social media with Facebook. And our partnership with Facebook has been pivotal in this, um, helping CARE reach vulnerable communities around the world with messaging designed to shift attitude, knowledge, and behavior specifically to encourage uh, COVID preventative behaviors, but also to reduce vaccine hesitancy. And the partnership has catalyzed collaboration at CARE between our health staff and our communications staff, um, which really wasn't in place before. And it's accelerated CARE's use of digital social and behavioral change techniques to complement more traditional approaches, as well as to complement our larger array of uh, fast and fair dist uh, vaccine distribution programming. Um, I'd love to highlight a few countries and the way that the digital campaigns are supporting their larger body of COVID response work, if that's okay. Okay, um, for example, CARE India is working with state governments to mobilize mega vaccine campaigns, particularly in areas with marginalized tribal uh, and scheduled caste populations. And so by August of this year, CARE India had directly facilitated delivery of 1.2 million doses and supported another 10 million through health partners. Um, and their target is to support 64 million doses by December, 2021. And the Care India's team's Facebook campaign supports the overall effort by promoting posts featuring doctors and community influencers, and it's designed to address the vaccine hesitancy and challenge common myths around the vaccines. Um, performance results of India's Facebook campaign uh, using the Brandlift study tool that Lushen me uh, mentioned showed a two point, uh, one point increase in the number of people who reported that they always or often wore a mask in the last two days compared to the control. And that represented an estimated increase of nearly 57 million people changing that behavior. Um, another great example comes from Care Cambodia. Care Cambodia does a lot of work with female garment workers. So their online campaign was designed to reach the same populations with whom they work offline um, so that people who saw the, con uh, the campaign content could ask, more, uh, ask questions or get more information through Facebook groups, Facebook messenger chats, but also in-person awareness sessions at garment factories, as well as through factory announcements and work, uh, workplace video through plays. Um, and the last one I'd love to highlight is Care Turkey. They're focused on the gendered implications of, that COVID-19 has on Syrian refugees um, and are working to improve health services for this group. So their campaign effort was designed to reach Syrian refugees, especially women in Turkey, Lebanon, and Jordan. And in addition to the online COVID campaign, Care Turkey trained more than 200 community activators to provide Zoom and Google Classroom sessions that teach COVID prevention and share information about the COVID vaccines and how to access them. But what's been super fascinating to me that I'd love to talk about is what we've learned about measuring success. Um, in any digital campaign, we're always looking for ways to correlate ad effectiveness to a desired call to action, 
whether it's asking consumers to buy a product, to make a donation, to contact a senator, or in this case, to get the COVID vaccine. Um, and connecting that online interaction to offline behavior is something we're all seeking to understand. And so when the call to action is to donate or to advocate, measuring success is more straightforward. We can measure revenue or the number of letters sent to members of Congress. But correlating the relationship between social and behavioral change communications and offline action is much more difficult. Um, because there's no perfect tool for this, CARE started by looking at uh, more traditional marketing measures of success, such as impressions, reach, and engagement. And CARE's 19 country offices participating in this partnership with Facebook um, ran ad campaigns that were viewed 494 million times by 207 million people. But these met those metrics aren't necessarily corollary to changes in attitude, um, knowledge, or behavior. So some camp, uh, CARE teams were able to leverage the Brandlift study to measure effectiveness. And it uses, I, I think Lucien touched on this, but it uses uh, post-campaign survey questions to assess potential changes in attitude among audiences exposed to the ads versus those who are unexposed. And in the countries where we ran lift studies, we did see some encouraging results. For example, in Bangladesh, we saw a two-point increase um, in the number of people who know that social distancing is important to slow the spread of COVID. In that case, it represented an estimated uh, increase of 7.5 million people. Uh, in Nigeria, we saw a 1.6 point increase in the number of people who understand the importance of preventative behaviors, an estimated 3 million people. Um, and in the United States, we saw a 10.4 point lift among women ages 34 to 44, and a 7.9 point lift among men ages 25 to 34, who believe the COVID vaccine was safe. We were pretty excited, by the way, by these especially high uh, lift returns in the U.S., but when we extended the campaign run, we weren't able to replicate that level of lift, and we really can't explain why. So we continue to think creatively about how to think about success, and in several countries are measuring web traffic from our Facebook ads out to the CDC and Ministry of Health sites where individuals can make vaccine appointments. And we're seeing some initially encouraging statistics and are exploring this as a potential success measure. Um, and as I look ahead, I, I really have to say that the collaboration of all the care country teams, as well as with partners like UNICEF and PSI, um, has created a really powerful learning cohort. And so all of us are building on the lessons learned we, uh, we're taking away from our first run or creating campaign plans and thinking through what to do next and what to try next and also what to learn next. So it's been a real privilege for all of us to participate um, and to make a difference at the same time. Thanks so much, Jessica. And, and, and a word to our guests. Keep those questions coming. We've got a few that we're going to get to after Martin's presentation. The one thing, Jessica, that really stands out from your terrific presentation is CARE is an established public health organization, one that has joined the dots with mental health, uh, economic standing, for much of its life. How are you seeing this new environment of using social media tools, social media monitoring and evaluation, which let's face it, is transforming the way we think about measuring impact. Is that affecting the way you actually produce and think about the messaging that you create? Or is it just another way of getting the information out? That's an interesting question. I mean, we're relying on some of the best research and um, Latifa mentioned UNICEF's messaging guide. 
we're certainly leveraging that and thinking about best practices for specifically changing um, attitude, knowledge, and behavior through the digital channel in the same way we would with uh, offline strategies for social and behavioral change. Um, one thing that I think has been really transformational as we think about digital campaigning, um, and just, you know, this isn't, uh, this is just my perspective. I think a lot of times our organizations are producing content online um, that that really promote the, the nonprofit brand itself for the purposes of securing supporters, whether that's donors or advocates helping with your advocacy program. And this is really, this program has really created a shift in our mindset and thinking um, more broadly about communications as a, as a program impact partner um, to our health team, to our climate change team, to our gender team. How could we uh, rethink what we're doing uh, in the marketing department, for example, um, of course, to continue to support um, representing the brand to donors and advocates, but also to maybe create some behavior change that, that uh, helps us live out our values with populations who are interacting with us online. So that's been a really interesting uh, new direction for care. And we're excited to continue with that and move forward to strengthen relationships between communications and programs. And, and, and a pitch from a shot in the arm podcast. This is your journey is something I would love to follow and learn more about. I think it's one of the determining uh, public health uh, movements of our generation. So <clears throat> we'd be delighted. So our final participant um, uh, Martin Dale from PSI. Martin, I'm really disappointed to see that you're wearing a smart shirt. Yesterday in our briefing, you were wearing, I think, a Chelsea T-shirt. Um, uh, what happened? Uh, yeah, first of all, I'm an Arsenal supporter. So that's oh, a no. Reason. Um Yes, and uh, yesterday I'd just come from feeding my two-year-old son, um, and I ran straight into um, um, our preparation. So yes, I look far more decent today, and yeah, good to be here. Well, I, you know, okay, the interview's over if you're uh, if you're an Arsenal supporter, <laughs> but no. <laughs> so I, I really wanted to come full circle. You lead digital work at PSI. Um, what have you seen over the course of these last two years that is inspiring and driving you? Um, and, you know, you've got examples of things that you have done and where are they working? And, and, and can you sort of, you know, take it down to brass tacks and tell us, look, guys, here is a program in, I don't know, West London, East London, say for the sake of argument for the football team. But here's a place where it's really working. But I just hand it over to you to reflect on, on what you've heard. Great, yes. And I'll try and sort of pepper a few country examples um, um, in, in, in my uh, presentation. Um, so, yeah, first of all, I want to say I'm really excited to be here with this panel um, because this strategic partnership is very important to PSI. So PSI is a public health organization that's been around for the last 50 years. Um, and we operate in about um, uh, roughly 50 countries. We've got operations. Um, our strategy, our global strategy right now is all about consumer powered healthcare. 
And in layman's terms, it's placing more control in the hands of consumers to be able to better manage their health journey. So if you think about consumer-powered healthcare, you know, being able to leverage technology that's already in the hands of consumers, and especially um, platforms that they're using day-to-day outside of health, so not really thinking about a fancy health app, just thinking about the platforms that they're very familiar with, plays a critical role in terms of reaching and engaging consumers. And that's why, you know, social media and this partnership with with Facebook and and, and the rest of the partners is pretty critical to us. Um, So the partnership has basically been shaped, um, uh, it's got two components. So the first component was um, something that Latifa mentioned earlier around capacity building of our country teams to ensure that they are able to use a platform like Facebook effectively. So, um, you know, in partnership with Facebook, we managed to train 26 country offices on, on, on the use of Facebook. And if you think about PSI and its past, so we, we've been doing a behavior change work for the last 50 years, but a lot of it has been in-person. Um, interactions through health providers, through community health workers, and so on. And it's only in recent years that we've been pivoting towards digital engagement and, and driving behavior change digitally. So at the country level, we've really got varying levels of capacity when it comes to digital engagement. So this training and capacity uh, opportunity gave us a chance to try and raise the bar across the board through, throughout the 26 countries and to also try and harmonize the approaches that we take when we're trying to engage with people um, uh, digitally. So um, uh, once we did the training, we moved on to to deliver our social media campaigns focused on both um, vaccines and also preventive measures, depending on the needs of the countries where where we were working. And so we did this across 26 countries and um, we managed to reach 100 million people uh, and we had about a half a billion impressions, so eyeballs um, from, from from our target audiences within these settings, and this is a pretty big feat for PSI because you know we are not a we're not a technology organization; we are a public health organization. So to have a chance to do something different and to be able to reach people at that scale is pretty exciting to us. And so some of the drivers of this success come down to the capacity development. Uh, uh, process that we went through in partnership with Facebook. So if I give you a few examples, um, first of all, um, you know, our country teams learned about the importance of A-B testing when you're putting out content to try and captivate your audiences out there. So, you know, trying to understand what creatives work better and and, and enhance sort of get the attention of your audiences more is, is really critical, but not all public health organizations are aware of how to do this. So if I give you the example of Zimbabwe, um, with younger audiences in Zimbabwe, people who are age 18 to 35, what we found with A-B testing is that they are more likely to resonate with illustrations. So, you know, using cartoons or, or you know, anything that's not real people within the posters. Um, we, we get a much better result in terms of engagement with illustrations than real people. So that's a big aha moment for a public health organization like PSI, who, you know, we've delivered many campaigns where we're using real people as the face of those campaigns. Um, another example of the capacity building effort is around audience segmentation. So if you look at Nigeria, you've got 30 million Facebook users in Nigeria. So you, it's very difficult for you to come in with a one-size-fits-all approach 
in terms of what type of posters you're going to use to captivate your audience. So it's very important to try and segment your audience. And what, so if I give you an example of what we did there, um, for the younger audiences, the messaging, uh, the ones who are in their 20s, was mainly around, um, you know, get vaccinated so that you can get back to your normal life. And that's the type of message that resonates with that segment. Um, for the slightly older um, audiences, the messaging was slightly different. So it was more focused on getting vaccinated so that you can protect your loved ones. And you see that audience segmentation, although PSI is very familiar and very good at doing it um, using analog approaches. So when we're sending out um, community health workers or, or we're dealing with providers, on the digital front and doing it at scale is something that we were still learning and we had a good opportunity to really reinforce um, our efforts around this. Um, and then brand lifts, I, I won't say too much about that because some of the other panelists have covered it, but that's also a big aha moment. Being able to measure the return on investment on, on your social media efforts is big. Um, and, you know, if you compare to traditional methods, if you put up a billboard next to, next to a road, it's very difficult for you to know what the return on investment is. But now we've got tangible um, 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 uh, data that we can actually use to determine whether our campaigns are actually making a difference. And, you know, in places like Cambodia, we've seen really strong results with our brand lifts, um, particularly around preventive measures. Um, so the other thing I'll say about the, the program is the importance of aligning with the national response in any given country. So NGOs are notorious for doing things in silos. Um, but one of the things that PSI really focuses on is making sure that whatever we are contributing fits into the broader health system. So we, we look at ourselves as one piece of the jigsaw of a broader health system that has government and the Ministry of Health as the main steward. So we've been trying as much as possible in all the countries to align with what government is trying to do in terms of their response. So if I give you a couple of country examples, um, in Iswatini, which is basically a country in Southern Africa, um, we, we've, um, currently we sit uh, and lead the task force um, that deals with all digital engagement in country on behalf of government. So we are working as a steward for government. So this basically gave us a really good chance to make sure that all the campaigns that we're doing are uh, sort of, we're using, we're running the campaigns on our platforms, but the same creatives that we're using, we also run on government, on national platforms that are owned by government. And that is big because it, it really helps us um, uh, to amplify what we're trying to do. Uh, another example is in places like Kenya and Laos, where we made sure that we were getting Ministry of Health approval for anything that we were going to put up on social media. And then we also got a, a permission to have branding from the ministry to add on to the creatives. So it may sound like a small thing having a small logo at the corner of your poster, but when you're dealing in a world full of misinformation and where people don't know what to trust, organizations such as PSI, we are just another voice among many voices online uh, that are trying to tell people what to do and what to think about COVID. So having that endorsement sort of gives people that comfort to know that you know it's, it, this is, it's a message coming from a reliable voice. Um, the final thing I'll say to all this is that on top of simply just raising awareness and, and having posters that we're putting out online, you know, in order to help people drive an informed choice of whether, whether or not to take a vaccine, they may need more than just a poster. So what we've been trying to do is to make sure that we've got a Facebook Messenger chatbot 
um, that, you know, once you've looked at the poster and you've been captivated and now we've caught your interest, you've got somewhere where you can go and get curated information regarding vaccines. And the content within the Facebook Messenger uh, platform is exactly what's sitting in the WHO platform um, that Luchen was talking about earlier. So we basically, you know, WHO mainly runs it on, on WhatsApp. So we just took the content, adapted it, and put it in Facebook Messenger. So again, it's sort of, it gives us a good avenue to help people really understand what they're buying into and drive informed choice. Um, but yeah, it's it's been pretty fantastic. And you can tell I'm very excited about this intervention. Um, and yeah, um, thanks Facebook for bringing us on board. And Martin, this was, this was a fantastic Cook's tour of what you are, PSI is doing around the world. One thing really strikes me is that this is an this is a classic case of where a nonprofit has looked at what a successful business is doing, in this case Facebook, and thought, how do we translate this into the way we communicate and reach our people? I know it's something that CARE and um, UNICEF are doing. Um, I'll just show a little bit of my history. Back in the early 2000s, Richard Holbrook and I set up the Global Business Coalition on AIDS to get ARVs to people all over the world. And our argument was that if you could get a can of Coca-Cola across the civil war line in South Sudan, you could get uh, antiretrovirals anywhere. Well, honestly, really, that sort of didn't work. Coca-Cola highly toxic, highly affected medications that need to be stored and contained. But when we're talking how to communicate and when we're talking social media and these different tools, I think it's a fascinating new conversation. So look, we have got about 10 minutes left. And I think if you're okay, we should go to some questions from the floor. Um, Christine has very, very helpfully organized these for me. Um, and um, uh, I think the first question, Lu Chen, came really to you. It was, you mentioned a 3% increase in knowledge understanding around COVID, thanks to the efforts under discussion today. How did you measure that 3% and in what populations? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so the measurement methodology and the 3%, it's the same similar type of methodology as in brand lift measurement. So the way we measured it is um, we essentially had a, we did this survey within India, Indonesia, Brazil, Nigeria, and Kenya. And in each of those countries, people were randomly assigned to a treatment or a control group to receive the message, Right. Um, in the control group, they didn't receive the message. In the treatment group, they did receive the message. But every single person in that group was then received a survey. And it's the survey that is then able to distinguish the difference between the treatment and the control group. And that's how we determined the 3%. So very similar um, state to how we do brand lift measurement on the ad side. This example of the 3% was actually in the facts about COVID. So it's the information that Facebook was providing on the platform, not an app. And, and I'm gonna, no, thank you. And I'm going I'm to want to come back to, to brand lift questions here, in a moment. But there are a couple for Latifa, if I may. Uh, Latifa, one feels a bit post-apocalyptic. What happens when there's no electricity, no radio, no cell phones? But that does happen for a proportion mm -hmm. of the clients that UNICEF works for. How do you communicate and reach out 
when there is limited access to, pardon me, these technologies? Yeah, uh, Ben, that that's such a great question. Um, prior to even uh, becoming a part of this project, my work has been uh, solely working with countries in South in Sub-Saharan Africa. Um, carrying out mass vaccination campaign uh, regarding routine immunization and to disease outbreaks. So essentially, we're not saying that we are solely just implementing now these digital um, social behavior change communication campaigns. They're actually to complement our work on on ground. Uniquely enough, given what has happened with this pandemic, some of those uh, types of activities have been uh, really um, put to the side due to such measures as physical distancing. But one thing that we know is that UNICEF has worked continuously within communities and and uh, working with the Ministry of Health and other partners on ground such as CARE PSI and has really been able to provide um, um, information to uh, community leaders and, and health facilities uh, regarding the COVID-19 um, pandemic. So, we're we're not stating that uh, we're not going to continue our our risk communication and community engagement activities um, physically, but we're complementing that work by uh, being able to to reach populations in the digital space. It's and and, isn't it? That's it's the, and, and and yeah. Now the Thank other you. question that we had for you is about the enterprise platform that you might be using to coordinate efforts globally. Do you have one? And if so, what is it? Yeah, well, you know, what we're, what we're focused on is, is really um, being able to, um, to match the activities. We, we currently do not have an enterprise platform. Yeah. I love the direct honesty of <laughs> I certainly don't, in many, many of the, the uh, programs I work with, that would cause much gnashing of teeth and wrenching of clothes. No enterprise platform. Oh, my gosh. But thank you for the, thank you for the direct uh, response. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a question really for, for all of us. And, um, and, and, and uh, you know, maybe I could put this first to um, uh uh, to Martin um, and then to Jessica. Um, can you share some good practices or materials or point us to them where COVID social media campaigns have worked? Uh, uh, could you rephrase the question just to make sure that I understand it? Uh-huh. Could you refer us to some examples of COVID social media practices or materials that have worked? You've talked about programs, but if I were to say to you, if I come back to you afterwards and you give me five or six links, what would those be? Um, Well, a a good starting point would be the PSI website, um, um, because we've got a lot of country country case studies on the use of social media um, 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 to reach and engage audiences. Um, So, yeah, some some of the good practice you you can get there. Um, And, yeah, I'd maybe refer to our website as, as one of the main ones. Um, yes. Anyone else want to help? <laughs> <laughs> Jessica. 
Sure. I mean, Latifa mentioned the UNICEF messaging guide, which is um, great and up-to-date public health information about what factors are creating hesitancy and what barriers might overcome, uh, I'm sorry, what might motivate people to overcome those barriers. Uh, Right now, for example, we're working on campaigns that dispel myths about side effects of the vaccines based on this research. And previously, we um, we're testing messengers. Who can deliver the message most appropriately? Is it a celebrity? Is it a faith leader? Is it um, a healthcare worker? We were expecting healthcare workers to um, to lead because that's what World Health Organization data are showing. Um, it turns out in one of our cases, faith leaders, in one of our contexts, faith leaders were the most successful. But again, that's the one we couldn't replicate. Um, uh, we also have um, been blogging at CARE about um, our results, whether they're good or bad on the CARE blog. So there are a couple, there's one blog post in particular that chronicles all the different kinds of creative approaches that our country teams took. Like some of them were talking about, uh, the ad campaigns was about how to talk to your young children about COVID or um, protecting community, family, and and country and building on a sense of duty or some used humor at Care India had a great ad um, with illustrated ad with um, all kinds of wrong ways to wear your mask, pointing it the right way. Um, so uh, the blog post chronicles some of those best practices. And then Facebook's been really great about sharing a lot of research oriented links um, so that we can target the audience appropriately. So for example, um, there's, uh, I, I primarily work on the U S campaign. I have counterparts in, um, 18 other countries building there, but there's a, a website that allows me to look at it up to the minute who's hesitant in the United States, whether they're, it gives me their gender, their race, their education level, their age, um, and their political background. And that helps me shape and target, um, my audience, uh, for the paid ads on Facebook. Um, and then there's additional information, geographic hesitancy. I usually take that demographic information and overlay it on some uh, a, a website that Facebook has worked on with Carnegie Mellon that shows me state by state or in country, where is the hesitancy most prevalent? So um, to Martin's point earlier about um, segmenting, our Care Nigeria did something different for Northern Nigeria and Southern Nigeria based on all this research and information about um, who to target and with what specifically. So those are just a few of the the top resources that I've called upon and would recommend. And and Ben, um, let me just add one one small thing to that. Um, So PSI is currently trying to work on a consumer digital engagement playbook. And the purpose of the playbook is basically to help public health implementers when they're thinking about interacting with their with the target audience through the mobile phone. And this goes beyond social media. So it goes, you know, if, if you want to use WhatsApp or if you want to use interactive voice response and so on. Um, and the reason I'm mentioning this is because we are looking for partners. Anyone else out there who is interested in sort of putting together this playbook, um, the community really needs it. There's a lot of resources all over the place, and it's maybe a chance for us to sort of bring it all together. So, yeah, silent plug. Yeah, lovely. Thank you. Um, and I want to thank um, Latifa to, for having replied to that question about the, uh, the guide that you've sent. So what I'd like to do, if it's okay, Luchen, is give you the final word. Um, The question came in on how do you elaborate on how to partner with Facebook? Any comments you'd like to make there? Well, I think, I mean, I don't, I would say partnering with Facebook, I think is something that we're incredibly open to. And so I think 
you can always reach out to me. I'm happy. But I also think one of the great things is we have worked with a lot of health partners in the space. And I think there's so many learnings shared amongst us. And I think we were just talking about this, that one of the things I kind of want to close with is like, we have all of these learnings. We've had almost two years of like frantic message testing in ways that we've never had with new tools and measurement. And now think about what we can do in the future. And that is what really excites me. I think that's what I want to close with. And what I want to kind of continue the partnership is like we have childhood immunization, we have mental health, we have maternal health. I mean, the list goes on and on that I can't almost, I'm like all the tools and all the learnings that we've had, if we can come together and continue to mobilize this as we move forward, it's going to be fantastic. So I'm just excited to work with everyone. And so the partnership with Facebook, contact me, keep it coming or reach out to any of the folks on this panel, because they can also tell you how that's gone for them and how, and, and honestly, all the tools on their site that they've already done by working with Facebook. Well, with that, I'm going to bring this session to a close. Just a huge thank you to um, our moderator, Christine Vargas, for keeping, um, keeping us playing nicely in the sandpit. And a huge, huge thank you to our guests. Uh, these are really tough times, aren't they? We've got a lot going on. And in the space of this last hour, we've heard some really exciting commitments and deliverables that are actually happening right now. And I want to thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. Keep at it. And I hope we can come back at next year's Zanga and say, and look at how much more we've achieved. Thanks to our panelists. Thanks to PSI and the Bay Area Global Health for organizing. Thanks to our editor and producer, Eric Aspera of NewsDoc Media. And a final thanks to you. Don't forget to subscribe and you can find us on all your favorite podcast platforms and on Facebook and Twitter at Shot Arm Podcast. Have a great week and a safe week, everyone.